2: Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. I am very excited. I know I say that every single time, but this interview is going to be incredible. I have the amazing Tamara Rubin, who you may know as Lead Safe Mama, and we're going to talk about not only those paparazzi tests that we're seeing all over, but we've got some boo tests and we just got some heavy metal education that I think is really important um, and you guys need to hear it. So please welcome to the show. Lead Safe Mama. Hi, Tamra.
3: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: I'm so excited to talk to you. You're incredible. Absolutely incredible. Your research is phenomenal. How did you even get into being Lead Safe Mama? Like, where did did your story begin?
3: (laughs) Okay, well, I'll do the abbreviated version, but um, the, the main thing is that my kids were poisoned in 2005. So, in 2005, we lived in a historic home in a historic neighborhood in one of the fancier neighborhoods of Portland, Oregon. And uh, we hired a painting contractor who was Working on some of the million-dollar homes in the neighborhood, and we had like the tiniest house in the neighborhood, and um, and the rest of the neighborhood was like Nike executives and stuff. So, and so I said, well, if they're if these painters are working on this, these really fancy houses, they must be great. They had like twenty guys, and they all had like matching shirts, and they had ma- trucks that matched, you know, with the logo. And and I hired them to repaint our house, and he told us he was certified in using lead-safe work practices and renovation. He lied. I didn't find out later until afterwards that he'd taken the certification uh, test either two or three times. I can't remember right now. And he had failed every time he took the test. And instead of using lead safe work practices, he used an open flame torch to burn the paint off the outside of our house. And he also told us because he said he was using lead safe work practices that it was okay for me to stay home with my seven month old baby because he was only working on the outside of the house and we were going to be on the inside of the house most of the time. And it was, he said, it was okay for us to watch things as long as we stayed at a distance. So I was home with my baby, and he burned the paint off the exterior of our house. The fumes permeated the house, and my relatively newborn kiddo uh, inhaled the uh, lead fumes and p- became acutely poisoned. And so, uh, what I what happened at that time was there was no education for um, for families that. We're in crisis, very little available. And all of the education information I found on the CDC's website appeared to be biased. And there was a huge focus on it being low-income minority families that were lead poisoned. And so I could, I didn't even know my kids were lead poisoned at first. I just thought they were sick. And they wouldn't test my kids for over two months after they were poisoned because we were white and middle income. And in Oregon at the time, which was 16 years ago, they were only testing low-income Um, African-American and Hispanic families for lead, and then they have this myth, uh, false perception that, hey, look, we're doing all the testing of the right demographic that should be lead poisoned, and no one's lead poisoned, so we don't have a lead poisoning problem in Oregon. Well, the fact of the matter at the time was that um, with gentrification, unfortunately, but also fortunately, A lot of the lower income minority families had moved to the outskirts of town to newer construction townhomes and apartments that were built in the 80s and 90s and didn't have lead. So they were testing the demographic that the government said had lead poisoning, and they were finding them not to have lead poisoning. And they were telling people like me who were living in the old lead painted houses, oh, you don't need to test because the government says you're not a risk for lead poisoning. So finally, after my kids were sick for two, two and a half months, I said, you have to test them for everything and they tested them and found out they were acutely lead poisoned. And they told us we had to move out of our house and uh, immediately with the clothes on our back. So I, I, um, I then started down this path of like, how is this possible that I'm, you know, a smart college educated uh, uh, woman who has been a parent. At that time, I'd been a parent for nine years and I'd never even heard or had any education about potential lead poisoning. I mean, um, in retrospect, we need to be educated about potential lead exposure while we're in the hospital with our newborns or, you know, in prenatal classes, that needs to be like one whole prenatal class needs about be about lead exposure. And when one thing I want to just say too, is that a lot of people say, well, what about BPA? What about mercury and all of that? And I ended up making a documentary film because I have a a background in the performing arts. And I said, you know, the best way to tell this story to get it to families is to make a movie um, just to tell other people's stories, to tell stories of lead poison families around the country. Kind you've you've seen the impact of that kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, it makes a difference when you tell a story and when I make it personal. And um, and I knew that that would have that impact. And so I um, I I just uh, I, I went I went down that path because I knew we needed to educate families in a in a fundamental visceral emotional way about this issue, and then I mo- learned more and more about what we weren't getting what what information was politically distorted, what information was influenced by industry and uh, so then I that's when I decided to you know start a nonprofit and make the movie and and then it's hard to say what happened from there but the, we, I won several awards for my advocacy work and um, in 2009 I started doing consumer goods testing and that's I started testing toys and vintage things I was I got trained and certified in using an XRF instrument then um then I ended up uh doing an event with Bernie Sanders in Flint Michigan uh, and in during the 2016 election I opened for Aaron Brockovich um, during a presentation here in Portland and then because I was like getting so hope high you know high profile I ended up uh I don't know exactly what happened which we still don't know what happened but someone made an anonymous fraudulent complaint, a false complaint, and tried to take down my work. So for the last six years, I've been in a legal battle defending my work, and I'm currently suing the state of Oregon and federal court for multiple counts of civil rights violations against me for this whole campaign that was um, initiated to apparently intentionally dismantle my advocacy work and the impact that I was making. Wow. So
2: um, for everybody that's listening right now, I think what I'm about to say is what they're thinking. You are a badass
3: seriously you are a badass when I was I was illegally arrested while sitting in my kitchen homeschooling my son and my older son said mom you are a true badass you are a real activist now that you've been illegally arrested for crimes you did not commit I'm like okay all right I get that (laughs) that hasn't felt that way but hey you know okay I'll 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 try that on
2: (laughs) Wow. That's incredible. So for people listening right now, they're going, wait a second, lead poisoning in children. What did the lead poisoning look like in your young children? So maybe somebody out there that's experiencing something, you know, has some information.
3: Well, I, I have to say first that the most common um, symptom of childhood lead poisoning is no symptom at all. So that that's not something to look for. Um, unfortunately, because of the way our world has been shaped around public health, your best bet is to get a blood level test when your baby is seven or eight months old before they start to crawl ideally. And then again, after they start crawling, maybe when they're 14 months, and that's different than the public uh, CDC or EPA recommendations. I I recommend before crawling or after crawling so you can get a baseline, hopefully find out that, that they're not poisoned. But if your baby is poisoned at seven or eight months like mine was, then you have that immediate, Opportunity to take action, and then babies are mostly poisoned by dust on the floor in older homes that let lead, lead containing dust, and so getting that um, blood level test after they start crawling is a really good time so that said, um, my kids were acutely poisoned in a moment in a day from inhaling leaded fumes. They were violently ill um, some of the symptoms are you know g i uh, distress. They had diarrhea and constipation because their GI systems shut down. They had headaches. They were irritable. My three-year-old uh, stopped talking. He, you know, re- his his speech completely regressed. My seven-month-old, uh, eight, you know, eight, nine months had started eating solids, stopped eating solids. He ended up not eating solids until he was three. So basically I ended up like unintentionally becoming, you know, a, a model- La Leche League member, even though I wasn't, (laughs) you know, because I nursed my baby till he was three because he refused to eat solids and I needed him to get nutrition because it was lead poisoned. So, um, you know, so there's a lot of different symptoms that could happen, but they also seem to look to most people like normal, terrible tooth symptoms, you know, irritability, um, food food refusal, uh, uh, changes in, in speech. But, and those aren't the major impacts. The major impacts are on frontal lobe development. So what happens is lead biomimics calcium in biological structures that, uh, you know, in animals and humans, because humans are animals. And so when you have a high calcium... um component of your body developing, the, the body absorbs the lead in the place of calcium. So in the case of my baby at the time, his brain was developing. So he absorbed lead in the place of calcium for his brain development. So his diagnosis that he didn't get until he was seven years old was brain injury due to lead poisoning. And then my my other child, who was three years old at the time, um, his adult teeth were developing. And while he also has brain issues and learning disabilities and ADHD and, and, and other and other physiological issues, his teeth were, his adult teeth were developing because all of his baby teeth had come in. And so when he started having his adult teeth erupt, they all were having cavities. Like he had the, his very first visit and we brushed teeth were very strict about these sorts of things, but his very first visit to the dentist, I think he had 12 cavities. And that's like, wait, how did that happen? Well, that happened because the lead was absorbed by his developing teeth in the place of calcium. And so um, a kind of shorthand way to say that his teeth grew up, grew out soft and not, and not fully developed. And so there's lots of different impacts. Um, the most traumatic ones are the learning disabilities and behavioral issues. But also, um, you end up having a compromised immune system, so you're more likely to be susceptible to other cons- other health concerns. So this whole COVID thing with my, my son Avi has been very complicated because he's very medically fragile as a result of his lead exposure as a baby. He also ha- developed severe plaque psoriasis when there was no history of that in our family, and that's like the lead was a trigger for possibly a pre-existing condition or a genetic um, inclination. And then, you know, the lead makes, made it happen. Another thing that a lot of, uh, un- unfortunately, not all of these symptoms are causally linked to lead exposure. Although the ones that are causally linked are include increased risk of heart disease, increased risk of kidney failure, uh, reproductive disorders, inability to to conceive, erectile dysfunction that we discussed on our chat, um, and low birth weight in newborns, even at very low level exposures. So, and we're talking about like a lifetime of impact. So that's why you won't necessarily know if your kid's sick, if that's going to have any problem, you know, if they're going to have any problems from that. So that's why it's good to get your kid tested, even if you don't expect or suspect lead exposure I also recommend people get their kids tested even if they live in a new construction home because you never know where that lead exposure might come from and and the the advantage is to have a baseline so you know whether or not your child's been exposed later so you get your nine-month test the kid's negative woohoo celebrate and then you go to your grandma's house for a weekend and there's lead everywhere and you're like oh shit I don't know if he had an exposure you can get a test and you'll know is it different than his last test
0: Wow.
2: Um, In your documentary that I got to watch, thank you so much for sending me that link. uh, You mentioned that one in three children before like, what, the age of five?
3: Well, actually, no, it's so, okay, so here's the interesting thing. So I filmed a lot of the documentary and I cut it together years ago. And at that, and I've been saying now, after analyzing the CDC data, the CDC at the time was saying there were 300,000 children with lead exposure. And when I, I like, I'm like, where did they come up with that number? And then I looked at the numbers. I'm like, no, actually, we know there's no safe level of lead exposure. We know that a blood level of one, two, or three actually can cause more damage than a blood level of five, six, seven, or eight, nine, or ten. It, the the first blood level points are more damaging because the body doesn't try to expel the lead, so the body tries to absorb it and use it, and so those are the ones, the the first exposures uh, have more biological impacts. So if we look at children who are a blood level of two or higher, and if we consider a child to be anyone under the age of 18 who ever had a blood level of two or higher, then we're looking at 22 million children and not um, 300,000 or 500,000 kids, which was the statement of the CDC. Well, the interesting thing is, guess what UNICEF came out with in the last two years? They made this surprise bomb announcement. One in three kids in the world have been exposed to unsafe levels of lead in their life. I'm like, duh, I've been saying that for a decade. And that just is just um, more of this, like, and again, we, we chatted about this, but it's like, I've, I've put this energy into researching and trying to understand this. And then it becomes kind of, in the public consciousness and then somebody else makes this discovery. Um, and that's happened quite often. Like I, my son, who was lead poisoned became, uh, started playing trumpet. And I decided, huh, I should test his trumpet mouthpieces. And I did this whole piece about how trumpet mouthpieces have unsafe levels of lead for student horns. Well, then like four years later, I think it was the Center for Environmental Health or some big nonprofit did this expose about how trumpet mouthpieces have unsafe levels of lead and they just discovered it. And I'm just like, okay, you're on my mailing list. You know, I'm the one who discovered that. I wrote about that. And I, it's not that I want um credit for fame or anything like that. I just want credit because like, you know, we need to build each other up. Women need to get credit for what they're doing because otherwise people say they're cracks, you know, that that they don't don't have any legitimacy because uh, I, you know, for example, I don't work with a lab. I don't have a science degree. The science that I'm doing is completely legitimate. I'm trained and certified in doing what I'm doing. And there's been at least 10 occasions where I came out with, um, statements and a body of work and then three four five years later a nonprofit or public agency or other group of people did the same same studies I did and showed what I you know proved was the case the big one was fidget spinners so I found lead in fidget spinners in 2017 and um and that was semi-viral and none of the news would pick it up because I'm just a mom in Oregon which is bs um so so then um a few months later the United States public interest research group, US did a study where, oh wow, look, they studied the exact same fidget spinners I tested and they found them to have lead. And so they announced that they found lead in fidget spinners. Base and luckily, when they talked to CBS this morning about this, they said CBS this morning asked the question, Well, how did you get the idea to test for lead and fidget spinners? I'm like, Oh, well, uh, Tamara Rubin in Oregon did it. And so, and so luckily, that was like the one time I got credit for my work. But, um, you know, it's been, it's been frustrating because. Especially after the efforts to delegitimize my work through these attacks from whomever made the attacks um, in 2016, it's frustrating because if my work is not seen as legitimate, then a two, three, four-year gap, five-year gap happens between you know me finding out something and people seeing this as a problem and actually doing something about it. Now, I don't want—I'm not blaming here—but as part of the problem is that there's no. That, that, that the social media reach of my work is not out there making that impact. So for example, this is a perfect example. I tested the paparazzi jewelry two years ago and now they're testing the paparazzi jewelry jewelry and they're finding, hey, guess what? Tam tests are right? Yay, okay. <laughs> why didn't this get traction two years ago? I don't know, you know. Um, yeah, and it's really wild. <laughs> I mean,
2: paparazzi is in the spotlight right now. So I think that's definitely one of the reasons why your research is coming back. Um, I was sharing some of your research on Twitter Uh, Becca actually was like, you need to talk to Tamara. And I messaged you about a week or so ago, um, right after I edited Tracy's episode, because in the episode, she had told me that they had sent testing out. And I was like, oh, I need to talk to Tamara. I'm really interested to see if their testing matches. Of course, it's going to. And of course it did. Um, I love that we have multiple testing sources over multiple years because it proves that we're not crazy. And yeah. that these are actually, it's actually happening. If you don't believe Tracy, check out Tamra. Tamra's got it too. And they're not related. Tamra didn't sell paparazzi. She's not just a hater. You know what I mean? And so like, when when I reached out to her, I was like, we need to have you on the show. We need to talk about this. And you also tested Boo. And it, for me, I, I want to use 2022 to expose as much toxic mlm product as we absolutely can because numbers and science is not going to lie
3: yeah and and i think that's and i just also want to say that it's not um ego driven it's not about me getting credit for me getting credit it's about by not giving my work credibility um there's a gap in protecting people from these hazards and you know i mentioned um my big my my big soapbox right now is that I've found just in the last few weeks, seven different types of glass baby bottles being sold on Amazon and they're painted with lead paint. And I want this information out there so babies aren't poisoned. I want this information out there so people know that they need to be suspicious of their glass baby bottles and that there's a potential health impact. And yes, there's a study that shows that lead on glassware is potentially harmful to the consumers, and yet there's no traction because uh, there's a lack of credibility because credit isn't being given where credit's due. So it's really important to me that we that we all use really good science first off, and that we give space for these findings that are new when they're new without being overly skeptical to the point of dismissing. Like healthy skepticism is fine, but like okay. Why has she found these findings? What is the proof behind it? Um, and and who? What does she have to get from announcing these findings? Now, I I really am excited that um, that the paparazzi, um, what do you call them? Consultants, like ex consultants, um, the crack that, the crown crew, <laughs> and, the crack, and I don't, I don't know what any of that means. So you need to tell me. But I'm really excited and happy that they did this testing. I'm really happy that it's getting the traction that it's getting now that they're, and I wouldn't ever want to take that away from them. I think that's amazing. And I also think, you know, they've been damaged by this more than anyone. And I think that's important, but I also think it's super important that that we all take a crash course in being rigorous about our scientific speaking. It took me, it's taken my kids were poisoned 16 years ago. So it's taken me 16 years to, um, uh, you know, learn and regurgitate the science in a way that is accessible to others. And it's going to take them a while to kind of get the distinctions. But I think that's that's the thing that we need to focus on the most right now is giving these people, these other moms, uh, paparazzi, former salespeople, um, the scientific knowledge to speak about the findings so that, that, that they're not uh, ridiculed, uh, so that they're not... So what they've said on camera isn't taken apart piece by piece in the, in the way that it, that it could be. So that's, what I, that's why I wanted to do this to make sure we have some rigorous scientific speaking so that anything that comes out of anyone's mouth about this is unassailable and unquestionable because that's going to get you a better outcome in any legal entanglements over this issue.
2: Absolutely. When Tracy sent me those results, I was like, I don't know what this means. Like, I have literally no idea what any of this is. I don't deal with this, um, you know. I, I didn't understand like micrograms or anything like that. Uh, I did get a little more education watching your documentary and talking to you. Um, but because these findings are almost identical to what you found, let's talk about these, what it means, um, and and why it's dangerous. These heavy metals, the things that. And even you've tested things that the crack, the crown people didn't test like mercury. So what we found in these pieces of jewelry that are being advertised as lead free and nickel free, that's, that's the main thing here. Okay. If you're going to sell me $5 jewelry and be like, there's probably lead in this, then that's the the risk on I'm taking. When you take that away and say, Oh, hon, trust me. It's totally free. It's totally fine. Don't worry. Let me ask paparazzi. Paparazzi. Oh, you said it's fine. Paparazzi says it's fine. It's (laughs) fine. That's the problem. That's the problem. So let's talk about those findings and what they look
3: like. I have found yeah lead, arsenic, mercury, cadmium, antimony, um, and and a little bit of nickel. Um, It's and I I, it's funny because I published that first post that I wrote about it two years ago, and I said nickel free in the headline, but it really had like thirty parts per million nickel. Um, which is almost nickel free, and I wasn't focused on the nickel you know so much as the cadmium, given it was almost three hundred thousand parts per million cadmium um but but um yeah the the <clears throat> so so the the concern is that like you're saying there's false advertising like that should be the first concern but uh, but i I really can't stress enough and 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 I don't know your audience, so I don't know how this lands, and I want to make sure it lands carefully. And well thought out, but the home test kits they're using don't work. And this is not me trying to discredit them. It's me trying to educate these, these home test kits that come in a little tube with a bunch of little Q tips are one, a knockoff of the actual home test kits that we know work. I've met the inventor, the woman who invented these, she invented them to test for lead paint in houses they have a low threshold of detection of 600 parts per million lead. So if it's below 600 parts per million lead, it's not likely going to find it. They also have a, and that's for the legitimate ones, not the knockoff ones. They also have an issue where they are reacting um, with a zinc substrate because zinc and lead have a lot of similar properties. And again, I'm, I don't know all the science on the, on why the zinc and and lead are reacting similarly but um hold on my husband's bringing me a package (laughs) somebody sent me a baby bottle or something i don't know (laughs) the issue is that um it's harmful that these paparazzi uh folks are using these reactive agent home test kits because if that if we were going to take that to court it wouldn't hold up um the tests are not legitimate and um and they're actually giving them false positives. Um, the only time those test kits and not the knockoff ones, but the regular ones from 3M are, are useful is when you're testing for lead and paint. Every now and then, they might be helpful if, like, if you know something is metal, and I have an example of this on my YouTube channel, but like if you're testing the lead lines in a piece of leaded glass. You know, it's lead, it's like 90% lead and you rub it on and it'll turn bright pink. Well, yeah, that's a different situation. These jewelry pieces, and this is kind of a bomb that your readers or listeners, sorry, aren't gonna wanna hear. But these jewelry pieces, while they are testing for lead, some of them, I have not yet found one that is high in lead or high enough in lead to turn to set off a reactive agent home test kit. So said another way, my lead levels that I found using XRF technology, which is the same technology used by the Consumer Product Safety Commission to test consumer get, goods for, for metals, has cons- found levels consistent with the levels that Tracy found, right, um, The crack the crown crew. <laughs> and so uh, her, th- those levels were all in like the 30 to 110 parts per million range. There is no way that 110 parts per million in the substrate of a piece of jewelry is going to set off a reactive agent home test kit. So all the positives that people have been publishing about are not, not real positives. And that's kind of why I didn't pay attention to this initially. I'm like, oh, this is like a big thing. I'd have to explain these poor women. They're going to be mad at me that I'm telling them this testing they're doing is not, a, is not real um but definitely not mad you're
2: the expert and we want to be able to know exactly what to do and like how to test at home is there a way to test at home you're saying that like these tests really aren't going to pick up anything that is less than 600 so it's possible that the things you're testing that are coming back lead-free could have lead in them because it's not picking it up right
3: right that's the other problem it's possible things that you're testing that are coming out negative might have lead might have low levels of lead and so, yeah, the home test kits are a total waste of money. Don't waste your money. Stop doing them, period. There is no way for you to test the paparazzi jewelry for lead at, or any other metal at home. It's just not, not something you can do, unfortunately. And it makes me sad about how much money's gone into testing these things. And um and and so th- this is not to say we don't have a problem here we do but just exploring the lead rabbit hole here the other concern i have um is that i noticed in in the video the other night you mentioned symptoms you talked about symptoms from the different metals and it, it's very unlikely that anyone has detectable lead exposure from wearing paparazzi jewelry. It's also very unlikely that anyone has symptomatic expression of lead exposure from wearing paparazzi jewelry. So theres science behind that is at hundred parts per million, it's probably bound in the metal. It's not wearing off onto your hands. It's, it's still lead and they're saying it's lead free. So the claim with lead is false advertising. And the claim with nickel is it's very unlikely that you're going to have symptomatic expression like blistering or whatever on your ears from wearing jewelry that has 40 parts per million nickel. When they are saying nickel free, unfortunately, um, usually that means low level nickel. Nickel, No nickel, N-O-N-I, no nickel, stainless steel, for example, it tends to be about 2000 parts per million nickel. It's less likely to have a reactive uh, symptomatic expression Uh, from your exposure to that whether or not that's a pot or pan or whether or not that's a a pair of earrings so when you have a reaction to nickel that's normally because most stainless steel uh, contrary to the no nickel stainless steelers compared to that test positive for about 80,000 parts per million nickel so normal stainless steel is 80 sometimes 90,000 parts per million nickel and I'm not finding that in the paparazzi jewelry. The nickel levels that I'm finding are like 40 parts per million. So 40 parts per million versus 80,000 parts per million. That's a big difference. So it's very unlikely that you're having a cyst- symptomatic expression that would be a reaction to the nickel found in the paparazzi jewelry. Does that, did all that land clearly? Yes. Okay.
2: Um, what is your biggest concern? If it's, if it's not really lead and nickel because there's not nearly as much to really cause a problem, What is the biggest concern that you're seeing in this jewelry then?
3: Yeah. So let me just say one more thing about the lead. And that is the amount of lead that's considered unsafe and illegal in an item manufactured and intended to be sold for children is anything 100 parts per million or higher in the substrate, which is the base metal or anything 90 parts per million or higher in the Um, surface coating. So the levels, the few pieces that maybe you're testing around 100, 110, they're marginally within the safe range of an item for children with the margin of error of testing and the fact that it's probably substrate reading through and there's some sort of chrome coating and all of those things. So, so knowing that, knowing that, um, that doesn't mean this jewelry is safe. (laughs) So the, the, the part of the, then that opens up the, the false, so takes the false advertising conversation. So, okay, yeah, they said lead-free, nickel-free. It's not lead-free and nickel-free. Some of them are, not all of them, um, but the lead and nickel levels are so low that they're not necessarily a concern. But, but what did they mean? What was the um, legal intention, the sales intention behind these lead-free, nickel-free labeling. Well, the intention behind it is clear that these are non-toxic. I forget if there's language on the website that said things were non-toxic. I I think we did some screenshots. I can't remember. Do you remember? It used
2: to say lead and nickel-free. That is no longer on their website. I'm not sure about uh, a non-toxic claim though.
3: Okay. So, so, but people, you can easily assert that in public consciousness, people are buying lead-free, nickel-free jewelry because their understanding is, oh, it's non-toxic, it's safer for me, it's healthier. So by by asserting these lead-free, nickel-free claims, you're basically having really good greenwashing. <laughs> you know, it's like um, they're, people are buying it because they think it's healthy and safer. So then that gets into, okay, but what's really in the jewelry? And that's when things get scary um, in that the cadmium levels and the mercury levels and the fact that there's even any arsenic at all is really quite concerning. Um, so the cadmium level in the first piece I published about was like 265,000 parts per million cadmium, and they're not saying their jewelry is cadmium free. Um, so are they liable for the fact that, that they're selling you cadmium, um, lace jewelry? I don't know. Um, you know, that's going to be a hard one to prove in a legal environment. And, because they didn't say they were cadmium free, and they had to use something if they weren't using uh, lead and nickel as a as a base metal, so they used cadmium. Well, I'm really curious to test some of the children's jewelry. I was told that that they were selling jewelry for children. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, um, I'm not super familiar with everything that Paparazzi sells, but I have been told that there is a children's line of jewelry. I'm I'm not sure, and I'm also assuming that if you're a, You know, like if you have a baby and you're wearing a dangly piece of jewelry, there's a possibility that if you're holding your baby, your baby might be holding that jewelry, putting it in their mouth, touching it, then putting their hand in their mouth. Um, So like that's even an issue too, but I don't know exactly what is and isn't marketed toward children in paparazzi.
3: So so the question is, has any of their children's jewelry tested positive? And if people want to send me some of their children's jewelry that they know for sure was sold as children's jewelry, that's your best angle for getting them, (laughs) for, you know, getting paparazzi for breaking the law. Because um, there isn't a law about total cadmium content or total arsenic content or total lead or mercury content for jewelry made for use by adults. There's no law. And so- that was a miscommunication by Tracy and crew in her video. They didn't understand the specifics of the law. Now, there's exceptions in California, and there's exceptions for children's jewelry. And there may or may not be an exception in Washington State that you can pursue. Uh, Becca might have more about information about that. And there's an exception in Denmark. I'm assuming it's mostly... America that this has been, the United States, this has been sold, so uh, we probably wouldn't be able to talk to the Danish government, but if any was sold in Denmark, that, that would be great, because Denmark has a limit of uh, 75 parts per million cadmium, and they have a really fun study. Um, they, they, they were concerned about cadmium and sex toys, so they were looking about at what level of cadmium should be permissible as potentially migratable from silicone dildos. Um, and so that's where they came up with that 75 parts per million number. It's a fun study.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the things we learn on this show.
3: <laughs> so so they came up with that because they were like, they actually replicated vaginal environments and put um, the silicone in these um, fluid environments that replicated the va- the vagina, and um, and they found out that over 75 parts per million cadmium would be considered unsafe. Um, then the state of Washington has a limit. I know in items intended for children, including cookware, and they're the only location, state, country, or uh, that I'm aware of that has a, a a comprehensive limit that includes cookware and dishes that anything over 40 parts per million cadmium is illegal and they, that's the only state that has like a non-migratable cadmium limit. The federal cadmium limit for jewelry, which is possibly the most relevant standard, is 300 parts per million. So if it's a child's jewelry, only if it's for children, and if it has more than 300 parts per million cadmium, it's considered illegal to be sold as an item intended for use by children. That's why I need to test. You guys need to test. The other Everybody needs to test. Send me to test any of the children's jewelry. Because if we can find even one piece of children's jewelry that's high in cadmium, then we have a hook for legal action. Outside of that, um, the testing that we've all done is alarming because we know that 300 parts per million is unsafe and illegal. And the reason they've set that standard, well, let me take a step back. So because testing for migratable heavy metals is very expensive and out of the um, scope of what most people are able to afford or do, um, they have instead set limits for XRF detectable total content levels because that's easy to do i mean what i do is relatively easy you just have to own an instrument that costs between 30 and fifty thousand dollars, and you know zap the thing with the instrument and you have to do it in a way that you know you make sure there's no exterior contamination i mean there's it's not easy easy but it's easier so you can test for total content so because it's easier to test for total content using xrf technology they've set these limits with the assumption that if it tests for total content above that limit, it's likely that there's a possibility of migration that could cause human harm, um, you know, human health impacts. So the limit has been set for children's jewelry at 300 parts per million for cadmium. So what, what we need to understand from that is children are human <laughs> and just because we've set a limit for children doesn't mean that limit shouldn't also apply to adults, but it doesn't. But if we know there's a potential for human health impacts at levels above 300 parts per million with children, then we can assert, and this is with all toxicants, all heavy metals, that um, that there's likely human health impacts at levels above 300 parts per million for any human, regardless of their age or size. So, so that's that's where we get it's like it's a leap. Um, from the law, because there's no law protecting adults. And so in my work, I'm always talking about what the levels are for children. Like in a post, they will say, oh, well, and 90 parts per million is unsafe or illegal for children for lead. And, you know, but the reason I say that is because there's no total content law for items intended for use for, by adults, and there should be. And so, okay, now we're really in the weeds here. But what I'm trying to get at is Fundamentally, the focus of my work is that we need to change these legislative standards, these, these mandated standards to apply to all humans, not to just apply to children, because that's been proven by science, okay, so that, that the human health impacts have been proven by science. So then we're talking, okay, get back to you paparazzi, 300 parts per million is toxic to children, mandated legally, all those things. And you have these jewelry pieces that I found at close to 300,000 and that Tracy and Crack the Crown crew found at like 700,000, 800,000. So obviously 800,000 is more than 300,000. And 300,000 is more than 300. And and is there a potential for human health impacts by cadmium at 300,000? Parts per million. And I'd say absolutely. Um, Unfortunately, um, you have to prove that. And that's a very difficult thing to prove because we live in a toxic world. So I think with the paparazzi, our first focus should be on false advertising, uh, lead free, nickel free. But that's not going to go very far necessarily because those levels were so low, unless we by chance find one with a very high level of lead, which I don't expect we are based on the testing that I've done and that Tracy did. Um, and so the question is, can we establish human health impacts from the high levels of cadmium? That's a question. That's an inquiry we we'll all need to be in. Now, if you are a paparazzi associate, what do you call them? <laughs> a consultant or a rep, probably. Okay. This is what you should do if you sell paparazzi jewelry. You should get a series of tests. You should ask your doctor for a series of tests today when you hear this, the moment you hear this. Call your doctor, say, I may have had an unsafe level of cadmium exposure as an industrial workplace exposure. That's the bigger concern that might be provable than, oh, I bought a piece of paparazzi jewelry and I might have exposure from that. But what we can do is if you folks can get a blood test for metals, a hair test for metals, and a urine test for metals. And there are different types of urine tests. There's provoked and non-provoked. You probably want to get a non-provoked first and then a provoked one later. Um, I think doctor's data does the hair and urine and you can ask your doctor for to do that for you. Um, but I wouldn't just do it for you. I, I thought about this a lot last night in in um, in my dreams in preparing to talk to you, um, because I want like what can these like if you test positive for cadmium that has no bearing on where the cadmium came from because our world is so toxic. If you look on my website, which is ledsafemama.com, tamarubin.com, you'll see I have over 3,000 posts and pages, most of which is test results. Many of those things i tested positive for cadmium. So it's not like an unusual thing. And the company can say, oh, well, you got your cadmium exposure somewhere else. So you can't blame us. So the question is, can we determine human health impact? So I would start by getting those tests for you, but I would also get, those exact same tests for everyone in your household, because I want to know is your level that's provable in one of these methodologies higher than your husband or your child or your roommate or whoever else is in the household, because you're touching and interacting with these piece, pieces more. Um, and, and again, that's not necessarily going to be provable as a causal implication. We're not going to be able to causally implicate the paparazzi jewelry as having caused. cause, your cadmium levels. But if we have 10 or 20 or 100 paparazzi consultants, all test everyone in their household using urine, uh, blood and hair tests for metals. And in every case, there's some correlative association where the person who handles the jewelry and sells the jewelry in the household is high cadmium, but nobody else in the household is. Then we start to have a data set that is interesting in terms of uh, assigning blame and uh, asserting uh, that there's a problem. So I'm sorry, it's a lot of talking. Do you have any questions about that?
2: (laughs) No, I think that's amazing information. I think a lot of people just learned a lot of things. Um, It's also interesting that you mentioned that Washington has uh, specific rules because I'm very friendly with the AG's office in Washington and I would love to give them some of this information and maybe they can look into it as well.
3: But they won't care if it's not sold for children. Okay. Right. Um, so that's what we got to do, right? We got to look
2: into that stuff. We got to send that children's jewelry to Tamara. We'll get that all set up in the show notes so that you're able to contact her and get that stuff sent to her, get some of that testing done. And, you know, let's start creating a timeline. Yeah. Let's really and figure out what's going on here.
3: Another problem is that at least with lead, which is a good example and, and, and the other metals I assume is similar based on the reading I've done, um, lead, Bioaccumulates in the body. And if you get a blood lead test, then there's a 30 to 45 day half life window. So, say you're getting a metals blood test, that'll tell you what your exposure has been in the last 30 to 45 days. So, if you've stopped selling paparazzi and you've put it in a box in your garage and you haven't touched it for a month, hopefully, whatever levels you have, mercury, lead, cadmium, whatever they are, have started going down. So you want to do this like today, tomorrow, the next day, whenever, as soon as you can get this testing done, because if you test in a month or two months, your levels will go down. Now, I don't know if anybody likes the true crime dramas, but in the true crime dramas, they often test hair um, uh, to figure out arsenic poisoning or other poisoning. So the hair tends to give more of a Three-month picture, or to, they can cut the hair up into one-inch-long segments and like see, okay, this was likely a month ago. This was likely two months ago. So that's another thing to do is test the hair in segments. And again, I, I, I think that's more an investigative um, inquiry that should be overseen by someone handling um, the potential liability considerations. Um, so what I would do is yank a couple of your hairs out. You want them yanked out by the roots. You want the boot bulb and put them in a little jar baggy test tube to be tested later when we can say, okay, and write the date on the baggie that you pulled your hair out. And, you know, for fun, write down your date of your last haircut. Um, so we know that this hair represents hair that was growing from your head from this period. And your hair was, you know, they, they can tell how, um, rate of hair growth, that's just one way, and then, if you do a urine test there's there's a lot of um, uh, scientific criticism about the validity of hair and urine testing. But what I'm finding is if you did have an exposure, your hair or urine will likely correlate, but there's not enough of a scientific body of research. instead, Western medicine doctors tend to say, "Oh, well, hair and urine tests don't really tell you much because you know, Uh, it's past exposure and it's what it's your rate of elimination. And it's, it's uh, isolated by certain people. Like, so what I, what I tell people about hair and urine tests is get a hair and urine test now, stop touching or interacting with these products, cold Turkey, get another hair and urine test a month from now, and then two or three months from now. And if your levels have gone down and the main thing that you've done differently is you stopped, using, uh, or touching the offending concerning, um, product, then, then you also have more data about, about that. And it's expensive to get these tests done. some, sometimes they'll be covered by insurance. Sometimes they won't. Some, uh, times you can, the doctor will call in the order and you can pay like a hundred bucks per test. Um, you want to make sure ideally that it's overseen by a doctor in case you're trying to establish corporate liability for this sort of thing.
2: Um, yeah, I think that's really important, especially anybody who feels like they've had any of any of the symptoms that we've mentioned uh, in talking about any of this stuff. If you feel like, oh man, I've been selling paparazzi for X amount of years, I have thousands of pieces in my home. I touch this every single day. My children are in here. Like you guys as soon as this is done, call your doctor and make those appointments and get those tests as soon as possible. Like Tamara says, pull the hair out right now, put it in a Ziploc baggie. Don't let one day go so that half-life can start like decaying.
3: Yeah, Yeah. Get it now. And, and decay is used for radioactivity, so let's be careful about our speech. <laughs> but yeah, that's the idea. Right. I'm not a
2: scientist. I just stayed <laughs> on a holiday and Express. I have no idea what I'm talking
3: about. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm a citizen scientist where I've had to learn on the job about science and to the point where I, as we were talking beforehand, I, I have done presentations to the EPA. I have taught EPA employees about the impact of lead exposure, I have done presentations at national conferences where people from all sorts of public agencies uh, come. I have two awards from the federal government. They were the first one was awarded by a consortium of public agencies at the National Healthy Homes Conference in Denver, and that included the EPA, CDC, FDA, HUD, and the U.S. Department of Energy. So, like, I've gotten these awards for doing for being an advocate and doing the science, even though I don't have a science degree or a science background, because I'm so steeped in this that I know more about the comprehensive scope of impacts of heavy metals on, on humans from a consumer good interaction perspective than, than probably m- many people, many scientists and, and other experts. So, well, so- you're an
2: honorary scientist here on this show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, so, so the other piece of this, so, and I'm trying to speak slowly and clearly and hopefully be able to edit around things, but The other piece of this is the concern is not for lead and nickel, right? Okay. So we just established that. My concern for potential exposure is cadmium, mercury, and arsenic. So forget about the lead and nickel. That's a false advertising claim. That's an administrative issue. My concern is for cadmium, arsenic, um, and mercury. So... When you're looking at those tests, I want to know, you know, do they have cadmium? Do they have mercury? You know, and do they have arsenic? Now, the arsenic is, I have found, is at much lower levels in the 50 to 500 parts per million range, and it's likely bound in the metals. And I don't expect people to necessarily have arsenic poisoning from, from any of this. Um, I think the, the cadmium and mercury are much more likely points of concern that warrant further study. And I am not saying you have cadmium and mercury poisoning from your paparazzi jewelry. I'm saying we need to look and see if you have any potential impacts from the cadmium and mercury levels in the paparazzi jewelry. And, and that's one other piece I wanted to, to mention in response to the video from the other night. Um, so the testing that I do and the testing that Tracy did, are it, it's, um, it's all about um, total content. None of that testing, was migration content? So, like, how much is migratable? So she she kept citing uh, Prop sixty five, and Prop sixty five more is concerned with how much of the metal migrates off of um, the metal in use, you know, off the metal off, off of the object. So, for example, if you have a brass doorknob that's made of heavy leaded brass and you do a dust wipe test on it and nothing migrates from it, then it's Prop 65 compliant as long as it's labeled that it has that metal. Um, so, so there's there's a little in the weeds here about whether or not things are Prop 65 compliant, but the, but the, but the numbers that we have generated from this testing are not the numbers required to determine whether or not something is Prop 65 compliant. So she kept mentioning um, arsenic levels and, and uh, numbers like 10 and 4 or 0. 0.4. Well, that's migration concerns. And these are, so that, so that testing hasn't been done yet. Um, the testing, so, so all of the considerations that I'm stating are based on total content testing. So if you want to do migration testing, you're not doing a uh, total destructive testing. You're putting a ring in a solution that might resemble normal usage of um, extraction of metals. And I don't know what that would be because when they do dishes, they're only looking at the inside of the vessel. They're not looking at the outside of the vessel and you don't use a ring as a dish. So there isn't necessarily a standard for migration um, detection with a ring. Um, so so that needs some more inquiry and to determine how they would um, see if these items are in fact illegal. To my knowledge, based on the testing that's been done, given these are products sold for use by adults, they are not illegal. It's not illegal to have an unsafe level of cadmium or mercury or arsenic in a piece of jewelry sold for use by an adult because it's not regulated at all. And I do in my, um, in my recent posts about the paparazzi jewelry, the one with the brown flower charm and the, and the heart charm that actually were things Savannah sent me. Those two items uh, have a little chart in the post that discusses the limits. And there's no total content limit, even for children's items for some of these metals. And the main problem is the antimony is not regulated at all. Uh, There's no total content and I don't believe there's any migration limits. Um, My biggest, one of my more popular posts was about how I found antimony in plastic peanut butter jars at levels that I found concerning. So if you buy peanut butter from Costco, you have a potential antimony exposure from your damn peanut butter jar. So I think, you know, not trying to make a case for paparazzi people to argue like the company, but they could argue, well, you got your antimony exposure from your peanut butter. And they might not be wrong Um, because, you know, that's a more likely source of exposure. It's ingestion. It's something people eat on a regular basis. It's consistent in all plastic peanut butter jars. And then in terms of cadmium, if you have Le Creuset cookware, it is coated with cadmium containing paints. If (laughs) If you have red dishes, like um uh, there's that brand, I can't even pronounce it. It's like washer fuck, I don't know. That. But they have this this line of dishes from William Sonoma it starts with the W, it's made in Germany. I mean, if they're, if you have red dishes, either from Pottery Barn or from William Sonoma or um, from Crate and Barrel, if they're red or orange, they likely have a high amount of cadmium on the food surface of the dish. And if those have been used on a daily basis uh, for regular meals, there might be cadmium exposure from those. So you won't be able to isolate and say, oh yeah, I tested off the charts for cadmium. It's my paparazzi jewelry, because you might have other sources of cadmium in your home. And, and that's where things get tricky and why companies can get away with this shit.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, sounds MLM to me. <laughs> like they, they know exactly what they're doing and they know exactly what they can and can't get away with. Um, and they really walk that fine line, and and we're seeing it right here. Like the stuff that's illegal is not because it's marketed to adults.
3: Yep, yep. So so the the to do list for the paparazzi people, the the, the you, you all that are doing this inquiry is get tested, get tested now, get tested a month from now, get tested two months from now. So we have, or you know, if you don't have that much money, get tested now and get tested three months from now. We got to see if you have an elimination or reduction in your heavy metal burden through any or all of these testing methodologies. And if we can prove that 10 different people have this reduction in metals after not touching it, after having touched it for a long time, then there might be a leg to stand on uh, in terms of potential health impacts. The problem is most of you, I would assert, did not get a test six months ago, or did not get a test before you started selling this jewelry. So you don't have, um, I think you have the, I think that the company's going to argue, well, we don't know if it's exposure from our product. And that's a common argument. Right? MLM's like, uh, how do we know you weren't filled with cadmium before you started wearing our jewelry? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the truth And if you look up on my website, um, there's a few examples. If you look up urine testing um, or hair testing, there's a few blog posts that I've written where I discuss. Um, obvious concerns for uh, specific metal exposure for the person whose urine test is shared. So for example, there's one little boy who tested really high for antimony. And I went to his house and I, and I used the XRF instrument and I found antimony in his pajamas, antimony in his couch, antimony in his pillows, antimony in his carpet, antimony in his bed. There was antimony in everything and he was nonverbal and four years old and rolling around naked on the floor. Um, So he was just like always exposed to antimony. So, so, and then I had this uh, session with his mom. She removed a lot of the concerning items and his antimony levels went down and he started talking again. Now, there was we it was a shotgun approach where she's also doing chelation therapy and we also removed lead exposures from his home but there was antimony in everything in his home and then another family um they had the the kiddo was 14 or 15 years old and autistic on the spectrum and he tested positive for arsenic well this family was very wealthy and collected a lot of english and french antiques and they're dark wood stained but you can't like refinish them cuz that If you watch Antique Roadshow, you know that that diminishes the value, so you have to leave the original finish. Well, that original finish is wearing and deteriorating because it's 100, 200, 300 years old, and it turned out she had like 20 or 30 maybe antique pieces in her home that all tested positive for trace levels of arsenic, and so that boy that was high for arsenic was likely getting the arsenic from the antiques in her home. And again, trying to approach this scientifically, we said, well, if it's a dust borne hazard, and we're talking about micro dust, then it would be in her filter of her um, air purifier. And so we tested the dust in her air purifier. And that was also positive for uh, notable levels of arsenic. So, so there's a lot of other sources, you know, that's,
2: oh, wow. Jeez. I mean,
3: I- there are so many things to test.
2: I, I um, wow, <laughs> I'm <like> speechless. It's <laughs> speechless. Your documentary left me speechless, like everything. I mean, I messaged you immediately after and I was like, oh my God, um, I have so many questions. It's just absolutely wild. I am so thankful for you and what you're doing. I, I did want to ask you though about Boo because we've talked about Boo here. You did test Boo. Boo is closed now, but at the time it was saying, oh, this is the best way to remove heavy metals from your body. You just drink it, soak it, paint it, whatever. And those heavy metals are just going to leach right out of your body. Totally fine. But your test showed high levels of cadmium in the
3: boo. Yeah. And yeah.
2: antimony too,
3: right? Yeah. Let's just, you asked me why I tested these things. And um, I just um, want to reiterate or talk about that briefly. I have a Facebook group that has about 15,000 members. I had um back in 2019 I had like 1.8 million readers on my website and with censorship during the pandemic about you know censorship of health related content um that's gone down a bit but still quite a quite a few you know this year I had about 800,000 readers and the year before 1.2 million readers. And so my readers especially my regular readers I have about 40,000 hardcore regular readers who uh, who come back daily, (laughs) I think not daily, not all of them, but a lot of them, like they, they, anytime they're going to buy something, they check out my website and they try and find something similar to find out if it might have toxicants and what, what my recommendations are. And I don't like recommending products because manufacturers are always changing their products and you never can rely on something being lead free tomorrow. That was lead free yesterday, but I do give guidelines for people to purchase safer things. So the way my work works is that, um, I'm an LLC, a small business, and I'm not a nonprofit, but it's kind of run like a nonprofit in that it's a social impact, small business, and my readers tell me what to test, they send me the stuff to test and they help pay for the testing um and cover my costs so far my business is not making a living for myself but but uh, the point is to get this information out there so that families can protect themselves by making safer choices by having information so because so why did someone send me boo because i would never heard of that stuff before but one of my readers said hey you know this is happening can you test some i'm like okay sure so that i was sent boo by four different readers and I've got, or maybe I've got five samples altogether now. I've got three samples up on the website. It also tested positive for cadmium, high iron, zinc, niobium, indium, tin, and antimony. And there's no correlative knowledge about the potential health impacts of those levels found in this product, okay? Because that hasn't been studied. And again, you so say you think your cadmium came from your... Paparazzi. Well, who knows? Maybe it came from your boo. Um, You don't know because even though the cadmium level in the boo was only 13 parts per million, uh, cadmium toxicity when it's ingested and measured in parts per billion and 13 parts per million is 13,000 parts per billion. And metals are usually toxic when ingested in the range of 50 to 100 parts per million. And so for context, water is considered unsafe for children to consume if it tests positive for more than one part per billion lead. And that's the American Academy of Pediatrics standard. Um, And again, for context of interest is that the federal standard for lead and water at which they consider water coming out of your tap unsafe is 15 parts per billion. So the doctors say it's unsafe at one part per billion, but the feds say, oh, it's okay up to 15 because it's not health-based. It's all, the federal standards are all based on what industry can achieve. So anyway, the big thing about Boo is that they claimed that there's this ionic uh, a, a, a charge that would help the metals bond um, with excretion and blah, blah, blah. Well, um, I actually I have, I have I've written about this a bit because um, of earth paste, the toothpaste. So earth paste toothpaste test positive for lead. And they had a lead warning on the back of their silly lemon toothpaste that they were obviously selling for use by children and had googly eyes and they were trying to sell it as the children's toothpaste. And it had a warning on the back said, not intended for use by pregnant women and children, but it was like brown on brown and really hard to read. And I have pictures of that on my website. So basically these companies don't, as long as they label it with a Prop 65 warning, then they were absolving themselves of liability. But in this particular case, they were selling it with an intended market of children. So as a result of the pressure from me and my readers we ended. They ended up changing their labeling, um, and so it no longer has googly eyes on their lemon toothpaste. But in the bullshit greenwashing from Redmond, who owns EarthPaste, um, the leaded toothpaste that they sell, and if you're using, you should stop using, um, that, again, first off, that toothpaste tested positive for 11 to 15 parts per million lead. And in, in the bentonite clay substrate, the main component um, of the toothpaste. And so again, that's 11,000 to 15,000 parts per billion lead when the amount that's unsafe in water is one part per billion. And then the greenwashing continued where they're like, oh, well, you know, you don't use as much toothpaste as you drink water. I'm like, yeah, but even if you adjust for the fact that you drink more water than the toothpaste you use, but these kids are swallowing toothpaste, and it's 15,000 parts per billion. And then then I recently tested some more samples, and I believe that was in the neighborhood of 22 parts per million, 22,000 parts per billion in, in the bentonite clay. So all well, that is to say, they have, um, they're a prime perpetrator of this false information, that there's an ionic charge to the minerals in their concoction, whether or not that's boo or earth paste or whatever the fuck, and and that molecularly bonds um to the lead in your body to help it excrete that lead and that somehow the lead in the product or the cadmium in the product or the other metals in the product are not molecularly bioavailable to your body because of this weird you know assertion of ionic charge so the funny thing is um not funny the sick twisted horrible thing um is that um and you're you're like on mute you're like laughing but you're not (laughs) like you're being quiet, but I'm oh, like, oh yeah, I'm just, just sitting here <laughs>
2: shaking my head and thinking what the ever loving fuck is happening in this yeah. country.
3: Yeah. So, so here's the thing. So a lot of these, um, and a lot of these are MLM products, but not all of them supplements and things like that. They're saying, well, in Cooper, 2009, there's this assertion that you know the molecular ionic charge and blah, 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 and it's not bioavailable. And so I Googled and I looked and I researched and I contacted Cooper 2009 and I tried to find this Cooper 2009 study that everyone's referring to. Well, the Cooper 2009 study that has, there's no Cooper 2009 study that has anything to do with human absorption or, or the lack of human absorption of ionically charged metals that happen to be in a clay-based substrate or dirt. Okay, there's no such study. What there is, is there's a study from 2009 from this guy named Cooper, who I think he's in Minnesota, and he studied how clay can be used as a filtration system to help clean water coming out of sewage plants to make it cleaner for re-releasing the water into the environment has nothing to do with human bioavailability. It's just a totally bullshit reference that people use that has nothing to do with what they say it has. But because they cite a study and people think it's real, they believe it. So that started this whole wave of, oh, ionic charge stuff. And I have not been able to find a scientific study that that does prove that. So in my, my there's no safe level of heavy metal ingestion. There's no safe level of lead exposure. You should never ingest any metals with the knowledge that lead is toxic at 1 part per billion in water and lead is considered toxic at 50 parts per billion in fruit and and candy, 100 parts per billion because the reason they set higher limits on those items is cuz you're supposed to eat less dried fruit and less candy. So they they have a higher limit than water. Oh wow. Um so yeah, so so, so because these levels are set in the single and double digit, and in some cases, the highest level is 100, so three digit part per billion levels as being toxic, the fact that you have cadmium and boo at 13,000 parts per billion is uh, fucked. It's crazy. Do you swear on your podcast? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> we let it fly.
3: Okay, well, you know, and, and so I would want my... Um, findings for boo to be reconfirmed because the studies I've seen for boo did not show cadmium levels at the levels I found. So I don't know if they weren't looking for cadmium or what, but I think that um, I want to retest some of the cadmium levels I found in the boo to see if in fact, you know, lab testing confirms that because when you're talking about ingestible substances, you really need lab testing, especially when you're talking about double digit uh, parts per million, you want to reconfirm Uh, with lab testing. I, I, I'm confident in my instrumentation, but given the application, the margin of error might be um, a a factor. So I really want follow-up lab testing to determine cadmium levels in the boo, because then you definitely potentially have a, an exposure source. So, so part part of the problem is I have people in my Facebook group, which is lead poisoning prevention with lead safe mama. um, And they're like, people will ask about something and then they'll respond with, oh, well, you'll be fine. And I'm like, no, that's not what this group is about. This group is about science. We're a science-based group. It just happens to have the word mama in the name of the group. It's not a mama group. I, my, my goal as a 52 year old mother of acutely lead poisoned children with brain damage from being lead poisoned, it's something I have to deal with every day Their brain damage and the impacts on them, and other learning disabilities and physiological symptoms. My goal is to teach or help other younger mothers and parents, but mostly mothers, about 95% of my readers are mothers, uh, to, to give you some science, to give you the scientific basis for making informed decisions for your family. Some people can't handle a science lesson. They're like, I didn't take science in school, or I did poorly in science. But it's really what we need to do as consumers. I always use the example of your car seat. The amount of freaking research you put into choosing that damn car seat and whether or not it was toxic and whether or not it was the best one and how safe it is, that amount of research needs to go into everything in your life. And if you're not putting that amount of research into the foods you eat, especially if there's supplements, into your home, into your clothing, I mean, once you choose something, then you, then you've got that choice down. You've made that choice and you're comfortable with it. Like I, like, again, I'm 52. I started wearing one brand of jeans 30 years ago and I haven't had to make that choice ever again. So I found the jeans I like and I, now they don't make them anymore and I have to find new ones, but for 30 years, I didn't have to think about that again. I found the shoes I like been wearing them for 35 years. I didn't have to think about that again. So it's not like it's going to take over your life to put a little energy into these choices. But if you have this certain thing that you eat or take every day, you really want to know, oh, okay, what's the science behind it? What's really the science behind it, not what the marketing says. And so- Absolutely, right? Like
2: find out like, what are they saying? And who's saying it? Is it Boo that's saying Boo is great? Because if that's the case, then maybe find someone else who's not related to the company and the product to also be making those really great. This is amazing claims
3: because I mean, follow the money, right? Yeah. So, so, um, with the, with the cadmium toxicity, um, in boo, I think it's the same thing I suggested people definitely get a test right away, see if their, their results go down over time. Um, and, and thereby kind of, um, uh, Scientifically compartmentalize the time period of exposure and the potential impacts of that product, which may or may not have been having negative impacts. I do I do my best to try and to try and make the information accessible so that people can take actions. So okay, so I'm gonna so this other point that I wanted to mention. We're talking about the bioavailability of cadmium. This whole BS about Cooper for 2009. The fact that you know they're using fake science that has nothing to do. They're referencing a scientific study that has nothing to do with what they're talking about. This whole ionic charge thing is not proven to my understanding in the scientific literature. And if there is a piece of scientific literature that discusses that, I don't believe that it's applicable to what they're using it for. Um, So that said, early on in my journey, um, I had a friend who I'm no longer friends with. She's a lawyer. And she probably, she might even listen to this because she's curious about this sort of thing. Her name's Jennifer, hi Jennifer, if you're listening. But um, she said to me, well, you know, you're getting upset about the presence of lead in things when, you know, not all lead is bioavailable. Why are you be making such an emphasis on the total content of metals and products? You really need to be doing more rigorous work and learning what amount of that lead is bioavailable. And I said, you know, that that doesn't make sense to me. And I did some more research and I learned that no matter what form lead is in, it's all bioavailable to some percentage. So like one particular form of lead might be 80% bioavailable. Another particular form of lead might be 50% bioavailable. And then the lowest level I found was like 20% bioavailable. I'm like, given lead is one of the most toxic substances known to man. Even if it's only 20% bioavailable, that's too bioavailable. So fuck you. Um, so so she was trying to say that I was creating alarmism, you know, being alarmist and creating, you know, and fear mongering and that sort of thing by by simply doing what I do on my website, which is sharing total content. Because what the total content I share is not necessarily bioavailable content. The question and the problem is. When I share total content levels like, you know, arsenic, lead, and mercury found in vintage Tupperware, Tupperware that's been around for 50 years and you're putting in the microwave to heat your spaghetti, no one's proven how much of that's bioavailable and no one's proven that it's safe. And there's no one trying to prove it's safe because the only person who would financially benefit from trying to prove it's safe is Tupperware And they will most likely not prove it's safe. They will prove it's not safe. So no one's undertaking the studies about the degree of bioavailable um, metals based on the total content findings for those consumer goods. So, you know, whether or not all 14,000 parts per billion cadmium in the boo is bioavailable is a question. It's something that needs to be asked. But, you know part of it probably is bioavailable. And is that worth a risk when it causes cancer? And when we have, um, you know, a a huge amount of cancer in this world, when we didn't previously, and a lot of the cancer people dying from cancer are people that grew up with industrialized, uh, processed food and products in their home, like both of my parents died of cancer. In the last five years and they were both well on the younger side like my mom was only 72 and every all the women in her family lived to 90 before that like why did mom die at 72 when you know everybody else lived longer well because she was that generation born in 1942 where you know they had finally they came up with white bread and they came up with twinkies and they came up with all this you know process mechanized things and better living through chemistry And that's the generation that's dying of cancer right now, younger than their, you know, parents, younger than their, you know, the the previous generation. And so if we can eliminate these chemicals from our life, uh, we at least stand a better chance.
2: Yeah. You know, my dad actually passed away from pancreatic cancer at 61, uh, born in 1951. And he was uh, a big fan of like potted meat. Um, you know, instant lunch type stuff. Um, And I don't know if anybody could convince me otherwise that that was not part of it.
3: We have these health conditions. And the other thing I get a lot um, in response to my work, and I have a a blog post that addresses all of these things. I, I hear from readers who talk to their parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles or friends or neighbors about my work. They say, Well, you know, we're fine. We grew up with all that shit and we're just fine. So if you look up the words, be fine, or um, yeah, I think if you were in my search bar, you'll find my post about that. And basically it talks about all of these medical impairments that we've learned to accept as normal for our society. And that like people are like, but I'm fine. Yeah, but I have diabetes. My grandmother died of Alzheimer's. You know, yeah, you're fine. But what does fine mean? right? It's like, I'm fine, but I have all these neurological
2: disorders and like my bones hurt when it's going to rain. Like, you're not fine. Those are not (laughs) normal things. These are all like side effects of all of the shit that has
3: happened way before we even were around. And so that gets us to, you know, know better, do better, make safer choices for your family, investigate things, don't believe what companies say. The biggest piece of shit is if a product has A Prop 65 warning, it's not just bullshit. It probably is there for a reason. There are a few exceptions to that, but the company will say, oh, we just have to put that on there. But they wouldn't have to put it on there if they did appropriate testing and it was negative. And and the only reason they have to put it on there is because either they didn't do appropriate testing or they did testing and found metals like in, in the earth paste toothpaste.
2: Right, that's so like funny for them to be like, oh, we just have to put that on there. It's kind of like a law. It's like it's only a law if your shit has that toxic stuff in it. If it
3: doesn't, you don't need this label at all. Right, and um, or or they haven't done the testing. So so that's that's a big thing you hear a lot from companies. And I think you know the degree to which paparazzi might be taken down. Uh, might fall within whether or not there was Prop 65 labeling only for products sold in the state of California. So anybody who's a paparazzi seller in California has documentation that these things were shipped to them in California and that they bought them in California. That's one angle. Um, And because they apparently have no Prop 65 labeling, but also it's questionable about whether or not that was required. Although I assert that given the cadmium levels found, it likely is required. Um, Again, Prop 55 is looking at how much can be migrating off of the product. Um, And again, um, I believe Savannah covered this in one of her videos, but you know those. If you have a coated ring, and it's coated with a chromium coating or a silver coating, like one of those things, tests positive for silver. Great, but that silver coating almost always wears off. And and that's and that's the other thing I talk about when I talk about dishes. The most popular posts on my website have to do with dishes because everyone has dishes. And the the dishes regulatory standards. It's the same issue. Um, they're only regulated for whether or not they're leaching lead or other metals at the time of manufacture. And they really don't look into what happens to those dishes 10 or 20 years from now with daily use when the surface coating comes off or the surface glaze is deteriorating and that glaze might have lead, cadmium, mercury, arsenic or antimony. And uh, you know that's when we're seeing um, exposures as people have been eating off these same dishes for 20 years and or drinking from the same coffee cup that's high lead for um, even a year or two or three Or, or also things that got past regulatory um, standards because they were sold as decorative um, items. And that's a a big thing with holiday decor. You have um, Christmas dishes and platters and and things that they're considered decor. So they're not right. They're not tested as they would be if they were dishes.
2: Okay. So I'm going to throw it back to the beginning when we were talking about (laughs) your, your film, And some of the stats that I wrote down when I was watching it, um, that lead paint was banned as a residential substance in 1978, but only residential. Like you're saying, you can still get decorative things. They use lead paint in like anything but residential, basically. Like it's still out there everywhere. Yeah, that's insane. Because people are like, wait a second,
3: lead paint is banned. And I'm like, only in houses and only since 1978. And only to 600 parts per million. So you can still have lead paint. Well, <clears throat> that's not exactly true. They they changed the regulation. They lowered it to 90 parts per million. So the paint in your home um, is likely below 90 parts per million lead or negative. Most modern paint is negative for house paint because that, they really cracked down there. But then, you know, like in the last month, I found seven baby bottles painted with lead paint
2: and when wild to me that a baby bottle would have lead paint on it knowing that lead poisoning is really going to be most detrimental to young children going through their developmental stages and you throw lead paint on a baby bottle where their little tiny baby fingernails can scrape it off get under their nails
3: they stick their hands what the fuck is happening right and and here's the other thing too i don't know if you remember you said your baby's 10 right um but uh, I was old school, I'm I'm kind of a Luddite, I don't believe in having a bunch of appliances. So a lot of people have a baby bottle sterilizer, I used to boil my bottles, so I would stick the bottle and make a big pot, stick the bottles in there, boil them and hang them out to dry afterwards. So when you're you know, they're not necessarily looking into the leachability of the lead paint because it's not on the inside of the bottle, and they're not looking into the potential deterioration from sterilizing or boiling on a regular basis, which happens and causes the paint on the outside to deteriorate. So you have these painted markings, the logo markings, the me- measurement markings, any decorative markings on these NUC baby bottles specifically, and also the Lanceno, uh baby bottles, the, the Muma that, that are for a uh, breast pump. These glass baby bottles are painted with lead paint, and it may or may not deteriorate, but they're not being tested because it's not the interior they're not they're an exemption from the leach testing standard because the paint's on the outside and when we brought this up to NUC a couple months ago I mean I've been on NUC now for three years that I've been harassing them and they still are painting with lead lead paint the thing is I gotta say if you're in the state of California and you bought a glass NUC baby bottle it's probably lead free but anywhere other than the state of California it probably has lead and that's the same thing with the glass milk bottles and again you can look all of these things up on my website just go to leadsafemama.com tamarubin.com and put glass milk bottle in the search bar or glass baby bottle or a brand you know put nuck or avent or whatever in the in the thing and you'll find out my xrf test results for that item but the big deal for me too is these lead painted glass milk bottles where only in the state of California are the milk bottles lead free but all over the country we're importing from this one company in Canada called StandPak. they're doing all of the if you if you look your pick up your organic dairy local milk grass fed blah 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 milk from the glass bottle you will look on the bottom it says StandPak. they're all made by that company it's all painted with lead paint and the only ones that don't have lead paint are the the dairies that I called and said hey you're painted with lead paint and then they demanded lead free paint. And the company stand in Canada has lead free paint because they're making it for California. They're, they have, they know about it. And And that's what's so wild. Like why not just blanket the whole thing?
2: Just make all of it lead free. Like I don't understand why you're having this whole subset of like, this is for California and then the toxic stuff's for everybody else. Just, I feel like it would be easier to just make all of it non-toxic.
3: Yeah. And, the, and, the, and then the big problem for me is that I can't get the news to pay attention to this. And I have emailed the New York Times. I've emailed CBS this morning. CBS this morning did a piece on me when, when I reported lead and fidget spinners so they know my work is legitimate. I have contacted all these major news outlets about these concerns and nobody's picking up the story. And it just seems ridiculous to me because the science is legitimate the findings are legitimate. They're the, the science. My findings are replicable, science-based, and accurate, as provable in this paparazzi incident. They did testing, found similar results to my testing, and when I say similar, I also want to clarify one point of that is the levels that they found were much higher in the cadmium, and that's because with the XRF test, I have to point it at a certain part, and there's other like parts that don't have cadmium in the reading, so the reading is generally going to be a little bit lower than if you did digestive testing. But, you know, the the levels for the cadmium were in the same range, hundreds of thousands. The the levels for the lead were in the same range, under 100. The levels for the nickel were in the same range, under 100. So, you know, in the same range. And um, so these are replicable science-based readings of common popular products. And everyone should be fucking outraged that you can buy lead painted baby bottles on amazon today and then the company knuck their response when we filed with the cpsc their response was oh those bottles weren't supposed to be available for purchase in the united states I'm like what the fuck this was a mom in tennessee who bought the bottles on amazon had them shipped to me in oregon and they definitely were purchasable in the United States, but that shouldn't matter. And, and the thing is like, they're selling these to families all over the world. And since we haven't been able to get the um, United States uh, response, I'm, I'm I'm working on a global uh, initiative. We're, we're ha- I'm having mothers in, um, in Australia, New Zealand, England, and other countries buy these baby bottles. And then we're going to do a summary of these that we can buy lead painted baby bottles in all these different countries. And we're going to submit that to the United Nations. I don't know and see what they say i it's just it's just it's just like why am i a mom of lead poison kids doing this work why isn't our government doing this work
2: that's an excellent question why am i having to be the one to expose mlms why is the government protecting them mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's insane it's absolutely insane it's it's horrible that we have to you know become victims and then speak out to help other victims not become victims because our government is compliant. Because like we said, follow the money. You know, I know we've got big pyramid on this end. I know you guys have big lead on your end. Like it's insane.
3: Yeah, it's, it's depressing and, and it's easy to get caught up in that. And I also want to say that, that a lot of um, people don't want to look at this because it's too depressing. But I also want to say that you can easily find non-toxic choices out there for your family, and that's been a focus. It's funny. (laughs) uh, It's very frustrating. People, Younger people tend not to read. (laughs) And so I'll write these long posts about all these safer choices and how to find safer choices. I even made a video that shows people how to search my website, and I put at the top of the video, here's all the way to find lead-free choices. And not only do I Make recommendations of lead free products, which again like I said I hate doing, but what I do is I give a guideline for each type of product and how to find the lead free version of that product so no matter where you 're shopping, say like, okay here 's tamara 's ten bullet points to make sure that this the pots and pans are lead free here 's tamara 's five bullet points to make sure my le- mugs are lead free and and you don 't need to buy the products I recommend; you just need to follow the guidelines, and there are lead free options for everything out there, and there are cadmium free options for jewelry and you know I mean, for example, Claire's, we talked, a woman asked about Claire's and Claire's had this big thing 10 years ago about uh, cadmium in their jewelry, because first they got nabbed for lead in their jewelry. And then they went and reformulated and they replaced all the lead with cadmium. So all this jewelry that was lead free was super high cadmium. And then they got nabbed for that. And they were super fined. I don't know the details, like, They were cited by the CPSC and they made a standard change. And I have tested recent Claire's jewelry and it's free of lead and free of cadmium. So it can be done. You just need pressure from consumers. um, And also you need consumers to know to be choosing the non-toxic choice for these things.
2: Wow. uh, Your work is incredible. I am so happy that you came on the show. Thank you so much for all of your incredible knowledge. Um, I am definitely going to be having you back as things come up to talk about toxicity and the problems that we encounter. Um, You're incredible. Thank you so much,
3: Tamara. Thank you. Yeah, people can send me stuff. Uh, Usually I ask they contribute if they can to help cover the cost of the testing. Um, And uh, right now we're trying to pay off a $15,000 loan to get the Instruments that I use, refurbished, and you know, there's a lot of costs involved. Also, I have a legal team of, of ten lawyers. <laughs> well, only one of them is active right now, but you know, the, the the legal fees to defend my work have been astronomical in the last five years. So, so any contributions are welcome. But um, but if you can't afford a contribution and you want to send something in for testing, you know, send me a note with your contact information so I can get back to you, and I will post about it and do the testing as soon as possible um, and, and, uh, if people want things back, I can send them back to them, but, but I think that, you know, I need your help, um, other moms out there, parents, people, um, in, in knowing what's important, because I had no idea what this paparazzi jewelry was, I was so lucky, I have a family, uh, that I work with, The, 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 one of the moms, her kids were poisoned, and her sister, uh, and, and her, uh, have been sending me, um, have been contributing to my work for a long time. And her sister sent her, sent me in these initial paparazzi jewelry pieces years ago. And, um, and I wouldn't have known to test them without one of my readers sending them in and saying, you should check these out and see what the concern is. Cause they must be lying. And yeah, yeah. You won't hold. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I will throw all of your links in our show notes. So everybody can
2: find you really easily. And if anybody would like to donate to lead safe mama, we will throw that in there as well. Um, you know, this is this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be exposing people and educating. This is just the beginning of 2022. Like we are just on this and we are not stopping. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe and share and follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast